0: Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, here today with a special edition of The Detail. The search for a COVID-19 vaccination is probably the number one priority of humankind right now. So today, in association with the University of Auckland, we've put together a panel of New Zealand experts in vaccinations and immunology to talk about how we're tracking and what we need to be mindful of. Our experts today are Professor John Fraser, Head of the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences at the University of Auckland, Associate Professor Nikki Turner, who is the Director of the National Immunisation Advisory Centre, and Helen petousis harris an Associate Professor in the University's School of Population Health. Let's begin with, what is a vaccine?
1: Vaccines come in many, many different guises they have been around for a very very long time and the history of vaccinology and vaccines goes back several hundred years in fact even further than that but essentially all a vaccine is, is is a means by which you stimulate the immune system with a pathogen whether it's a virus or a bacteria without actually causing the infection so you're almost fooling the immune system into thinking that it's got the infection and it responds appropriately and provides that protection so one of the most beautiful things about our immune system is that it adapts and changes over time and becomes better and better. So the more you drive it with that antigen, the better it becomes to the point where you can provide quite long-lasting immunity against that the original pathogen. And the hope, of course, is that pathogen doesn't then change itself because it wants to escape that immune response. Is
0: COVID-19 a particularly difficult disease to develop a vaccine for
1: that's a really good question. Um, if I if you asked me that question uh, six months ago, I would have said yes. Uh, I think today I would say it's relatively straightforward. Now the reason I say that is because it's a relatively simple virus. It's called a coronavirus, and it's called a coronavirus because when you look at the electron microscope, there's a beautiful corona ring around the outside of the the bit that holds the DNA, the um, the nucleic acid. And that corona is a single protein called the spike protein. And that's the thing that everybody's focusing on because that's the protein on the outside of the virus that the virus uses to stick to the cells that it infects. And those cells are typically the cells that line the the respiratory tract, the nose, um, the throat, and in particular, the lungs. And there's a receptor on those cells in the lungs that the virus binds to. The thing is that the virus binds very, very tightly. It's like Velcro. If you can imagine Velcro binding and sticking really tightly, that's just what the virus does. And it uses that spike protein on the outside to stick. So most of the vaccines that have been developed today really focus on that spike protein, that one protein that it's used. And the idea is that if you can make antibodies in sufficient quantities and with high enough affinity that they will bind to that spike protein as soon as the virus enters the body then the virus can't bind to the cells and the virus dies and you don't get infected. So that's what we refer to as neutralising immunity or protective immunity and that's the thing that all vaccines try and do is to generate that protective immunity, that neutralising immunity in the shortest possible time with the least amount of, um, of uh, antigen required to stimulate the immune response. So that's one of the key elements in designing vaccines is trying to make it sufficiently easy to produce so you can produce enough uh, doses of it to vaccinate a large number of people and that's the the scale-up process that's involved in, in vaccine development.
0: Once a vaccine is developed and produced en masse how many doses will New Zealand need to achieve what it wants to achieve?
1: I think my two colleagues are probably better no, placed to answer
2: that. I guess that really depends on what you want the outcome to be. So it is very likely that there will only be limited supplies initially. So the outcome in a New Zealand environment where currently we have no community transmission would be to try and reduce the spread into New Zealand. So we'd focus on the border border protection first. Then we'd be focusing on frontline healthcare professionals. And then you'd start stepwise, depending on supplies, um, vaccinating those who are at highest risk first. And we know from this virus, it's very similar to the flu virus that you'd focus on the elderly, those who've got compromised immune systems. So you'd stepwise release it through the population. The ultimate aim would be to vaccinate enough of the population to ensure enough immunity and then the virus couldn't spread. But that's quite a long way off. It depends on vaccine supply and it depends on how the vaccines ultimately act when they're used in the community.
0: I suppose that's the advantage of being an island nation is Mm. that we can pinpoint the most likely points of entry and try Mm. to shore those up. Mm.
2: That's
3: right. Yes, (laughs) the large moat.
0: The urgency that a vaccine be developed is probably unprecedented, I would imagine, in the world of vaccinology anyway. We are effectively asking you to build a skyscraper in three weeks, Mm -hmm. blindfolded. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the most important aspect of any vaccine, surely, is that it be safe. You talk about serious adverse side effects, the possibility of serious adverse side effects. What are we talking about there?
3: We're talking about things that that probably going to result in a hospitalisation. And, of course, there's a huge array of these kind, kinds of um, uh, health conditions that arise normally all the time in the population. The challenge is to, to determine, is the is a vaccine increasing the risk for this or not? Are we seeing what we would normally expect to see Or does there seem to be an elevated risk? And that's the sort of um, investigation that we we continue after we start using the vaccine. And we uh, should be able to monitor that in almost real time.
0: Generally, a vaccine will take 10 to 15 years Mm -hmm. to develop. Um, What is the acceptable level of risk in a normal vaccine? And how can we possibly replicate that when everything is on double Mm -hmm. fast forward like it is
3: now? The reason it, it takes so long and, and uh, traditionally takes so long is it's an incredibly expensive process. And I think people probably understand that now seeing some of the numbers bandied around. And that's often on the on, on company that's developing it. You know, it, it takes um, over a billion, often over $2 billion to get a vaccine through that process. And when they go through the first phase, they need to sort of sit down and go, well, how does this look? Yes, we'll get the approval of all the boards and things, we'll move to the next phase. And that's looking pretty good. So, then really big approvals because that's a lot, there are lots of money, move to the next phase. That's very time consuming and hugely risky, a uh, hugely risky business. So, what's happening this time is actually overlapping these phases. So, money's not such a problem mm. right now, overlapping these phases and also overlapping the process where the regulatory agencies assess everything that's going on, and that's from checking out the facility that's going to make it at scale, it's checking out all the processes of the trials, and it's not doing that at the end, Um, it's doing that all the way along. So when the um, trials get to a point where they think they actually have enough information to inform a decision, um, the regulatory agencies will be ready uh, to complete their assessments. Like
1: I, I always sort of comment, one of the things about clinical trials that people have, have um, probably uh, forgotten to mention is the fact that the longer out the clinical trial goes, the more sure you are that the vaccine is going to work. Mm. So, what you look for in years beyond is what we call reinfections. So, you keep monitoring people who've been vaccinated to see how many of them actually get reinfected and when they get reinfected, which tells you how long that vaccine is working for. And of course, yeah, you can't substitute time for those types, of, those types of studies so that's the reason why vaccines take so long to be developed and approved
0: Let's talk about herd immunity <laughs> herd immunity has a bad reef at the moment herd immunity's PR team is not happy with Sweden no. Herd um, immunity is good. It, well, that's what I was coming to. I'm i sure a, it's where, had where, a bad rap. There's
2: <laughs> a bit of a public misnomer mm. around a lot of this. Um, they're getting very confused. Do you well, want to speak to it, John? Or, well, you know, herd
1: immunity just John. reflects the fact that you have a large proportion of your population who have developed immunity. How they've developed that immunity is the question here. But getting to herd immunity is what we all want. Because we want to see this virus be relegated to the, you know, the the thing that pops up once in a while and causes relatively low degree of concern. So getting to herd immunity is what we all want. The question is how you get there and mm-hmm. uh, you know, are you prepared to take the risks of people dying uh, as a means of ensuring that the rest of the population gets there as fast as possible. And of course some nations as we know have taken different views on mm-hmm. how to do that. Our our nation has taken an approach where we want to keep ourselves completely free. That raises some issues about should the virus progress rapidly overseas and herd immunity starts to be reached in some countries, we will still be completely naive. And so we will always have to have the concern around ensuring our borders are closed until there is some time when this country can achieve that level of herd immunity.
0: Well, of course, once we develop a vaccine, we then face the issue of producing and distributing it. And uh, so let's talk a bit now about how New Zealand is positioned in that sense. We'll bring in Dr Nikki Turner. Um, Kia ora. If we assume that a vaccine passes through final trials and is available perhaps next year, hmm. where is New Zealand positioned in terms of a rollout?
2: Yes, so New Zealand's not ready currently, but there is an enormous amount of work going in. In fact, the national strategy is to be prepared for vaccine availability even by the first quarter of next year. So there's a lot of work going into this at this stage. I think there's two big considerations that um, we have to put on the table. And the first is that we're planning for a vaccination campaign prior to the final understanding of which vaccinations we'll use and how much we will have. So the big challenge for New Zealand is to start communicating now for a campaign that we're not entirely sure what's going to look like. The second big commitment from New Zealand is the equity issue, that this is a virus that particularly affects some people more than others. Traditionally, in healthcare, the wrong people have got services. So we have to have a strong commitment right from the start across our community to focus on those who need it the most. And the third commitment from New Zealand is to support other parts of the Pacific to also, at the same time, deliver a vaccination campaign. So that will be alongside New Zealand.
0: You talked earlier about the importance of communication and uh, there is a segment of the population which are sceptical about vaccinations. How do you deal with that issue from a communication perspective?
2: So this time is our opportunity to reach out to the multiple communities with multiple voices and this is what the New Zealand strategy is trying to do is to make a very broad communication strategy at many levels to actually start listening to people and hearing their concerns and feeding that back in to the communication strategy as it goes along. Because this is going to be an evolving strategy as we become more clear what vaccine's available to who and at what time frame.
0: If herd immunity is our end goal, is there a magic number in terms of the proportion of the population that uh, that we have to hit you know yes. when when that happens mm-hmm.
2: yes it varies um by the organism so for the example of measles measles is one one of the most highly infectious viruses we know so to obtain herd immunity you need 90 95% of your entire population immune mm-hmm. now with covid it is not going to be nearly that high because it is not as infectious as measles so the projections are some around 50 to 70% yeah. of your population probably around 50 60% maybe Being immune. Now that is doable. It depends again on the strategies, the public health mitigation strategies alongside the vaccines to ensure that happens. And remembering that immunity isn't evenly spread through the community, you can still have pockets, which is why even when we've got high immunity for measles, you can have pockets of outbreak Mm. if you've missed a community and you've got lower coverage. So we have to think about the spread of immunity within the community as well.
0: One thing that I've gotten across everybody today has been that a vaccine will not be a silver bullet. Is there a silver bullet when it comes to COVID-19? Or is this something that we just have to accept will be a part of humanity now?
2: There are strong mitigation approaches. There is no single silver bullet, but we've learnt a great deal. And we knew quite a bit to start with that vaccines, alongside traditional public health measures... Alongside um, therapeutics, can all add together yeah. to quite a powerful armament. And I really want to reflect on an extraordinary story this year from New Zealand that we moved into strong mitigation just before the flu season. We went into lockdown and then we had strong social distancing and all the important public health messages. New Zealand did not have a flu winter season this year. We had hardly any flu. There was a 99% reduction in flu virus this year. There was a 99% reduction in other respiratory viruses, particularly virus called RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. It causes wheezy bronchitis in babies. Mm -hmm. Our paediatric acute wards have been the quietest through winter that we've ever seen them. So what we do know is that vaccines are part of a powerful armament to control respiratory illnesses, but they're one piece of it, and we mustn't forget that effective social distancing, staying home when you're sick, covering your mouth when you cough, um, alongside traditional track and trace with public health. So once you find a case, protecting all those around the case. All of these things work, and alongside we will see more therapeutics coming in as well for when the virus does escape and cause harm. All of those together, don't create a magic bullet but they do create an environment that will be more comfortable than what the currently we're facing in the world right now
0: i suppose every disease that affects humans went through this phase at some point or another in history we just didn't necessarily have the technology or Absolutely. the knowledge to, to, to do what we're doing that now. That is correct yes. we
2: are learning a lot and we have learned mm. a lot and I certainly think the lessons from the southern hemisphere about how we can reduce the damage from respiratory illness in general not just COVID are very powerful mm. this year.
0: Well nobody here can predict the future but we're going to ask you to anyway. Mm. So if we cast our minds forward two years what is the best and most achievable situation that New Zealand should be aspiring to. We'll begin with you, John.
1: Well, I've always been confident, given what I know about the technologies and the, the speed and the success so far of the, the um, development of vaccines worldwide. I'm confident that in two years' time, New Zealand will have sufficient capacity to immunise, vaccinate a significant portion of its population where we will begin to consider that it's no longer the major threat that it is today. But I also want to um, highlight the point that Nikki's just made around the other um, parts to the the puzzle and the armament of therapeutics, for instance. I mean, there are those things that are coming on board as well, so that we will have other means to protect people who do get infected from the virus and who can be treated effectively so they don't get horribly sick or potentially die. So there's it's a whole range of things that will be coming on board. So in two years' time, I think we'll be in a very much safer position than we are uh, today, and perhaps even sooner. Helen, coming
3: to you. I I have to go with John here. I think based on everything on the table that we have at the moment, um, within two years we we should expect to have a. Uh, a, a new a new normal uh, uh, and, and this will not be, be the, 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 the the hanging over our our um like a dark cloud will constantly will
0: be a new normal or a new new normal <laughs>
3: a new normal uh, and a new new normal. We're getting into semantics yeah. here,
0: no, but it will be it will be a different world to what a, we're in yes. now. A
3: different world where we have to build back. I, I hope to see we build back better, um, but these things have shaped um, our course of history over thousands of yeah. years. Mm-hmm. We came out of the Dark Ages because of a, because of a pandemic. Um, So the optimist in me says um, I hope we're building back better and certainly
2: COVID should not be a dark cloud over our heads in a couple of years. Yes, on. I support the comments. Um, I, I consider that next year we will have vaccines, more than one, and that we will be able to vaccinate um, our frontline providers, the at risk, and the uh, most vulnerable populations. And New Zealand will work very hard to reach out and vaccinate those who need it most. By two years, I can still see that COVID will be entering the New Zealand community. Community, but we will have a lot more armaments mm. to protect ourselves. So we will continue to see COVID coming into our community. I do not see it, it'll be gone, but we will have better ways to protect ourselves, both vaccines, um, therapeutics, and The importance much more of traditional public health alongside that. I can see in the long term that COVID is likely to join our standard respiratory virus repertoire, possibly turning into a a seasonal Mm. um, disease in Mm. the same way that flu is. And we will move in the long run towards similar mitigation approaches as to what we have for flu now.
0: Do you think that people have to temper, perhaps temper their expectations or at least the messaging around a vaccine needs to be more realistic in terms of what it is actually going to achieve and how long that will take?
1: I think they do. And I think that the, the, the sense from my reading of, of the tea leaves is that many people believe that it is the panacea and that it's going to be a, a one shot Fix. Uh, that's not going to be the case. This is. This is. We're in this for the long haul, um, and it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of preparation to deliver this effectively. So you know we are not out of the woods yet, even if there is a vaccine that appears in six months' time. Um, what I think we've learnt is, you know, how to deal with a pandemic, because this won't be the last.
0: Yeah.
1: And so being better prepared and better understanding what we need to do and how we need to do it. And how we can respond, I think, is what we've most learnt from this. And I think that's been a global uh, sense around the world is that we've learnt a lot from just dealing with a pandemic because we all knew it was going to happen eventually.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was produced by Alexia Russell and Mark Jennings, and thanks to John Fraser, Helen Petusis Harris, and Nikki Turner. Matewa.